season one of Written in Stone, the 1990s is supported by Tension Climbing, wooden training tools designed with purpose in Denver, Colorado. Use the code STONE, that's S-T-O-N-E, to get 10% off of your next purchase at tensionclimbing.com and to let them know that their support for this show matters. Not valid for tension board sets, hardware, or gift cards. Cannot be combined with other offers. Tensionclimbing.com. Mastery over success. Written in Stone is co-created by Power Company Climbing. Products, training plans, and education to help you become a better climber. PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Use the code STONE, that's S-T-O-N-E, for 20% off of almost everything. Learn. Grow. Excel. He was already having second thoughts. The French climbers were not going to take it lightly. He knew that. And he was just beginning to understand that people did indeed judge his book by its cover. Punk rock with dreadlocks and speaking his mind in interviews meant that everyone assumed he invited conflict. And the names he'd given the two new routes in France, Agincourt and Maginot Line, they were going to invite conflict. They were the first two 14Bs in France, done on a short trip in which he was rediscovering himself and his ability to climb hard. So sure, he was a little in his bag. Who wouldn't be? But he wasn't that guy seeking conflict. He already felt a little bad about the antagonistic nature of the names, though this wasn't the first time he'd used the name of a route to make a statement. However, they were out there now sure to ruffle the feathers of Ed Langer, the Les Menestrals, and of course, J.B. Trabou. And if he was anything, he was practical. So now wasn't the time to spend too much energy on it. What was done was done. No, right now, he needed to focus. Just a couple of years ago, he deemed this route impossible. The moves didn't go light years away. And sure, he'd gone through some ups and downs in the intervening years, but right at this moment, Ben Moon felt he might be at the height of his powers, his strongest, the strongest, not just in the UK, in the world. Angular momentum is defined as the property an object, such as a planet revolving around the sun, possesses by virtue of its rotation or circular motion. An object's angular momentum cannot change unless some force acts to speed up or slow down its circular motion. And Ben Moon's angular momentum had been sped up by a new training tool developed by German climber Wolfgang Gulich while preparing for his current next level project. Jerry Moffat had brought the idea home to the UK, and Ben had adopted it immediately. And that training helped him find relatively quick success on those two 14Bs he'd just done in France. And 14B, or 8C, matched the top grade on the planet at the time. He knew stepping upward from that pinnacle meant doing the impossible. That route. And to be sure, it was going to slow his angular momentum. 
but he suspected that if he got the trajectory just right, he could slingshot around it and reach escape velocity, possibly light speed. I'm Chris Hampton. You're listening to Written in Stone, Climbing's Most Important Ascents. This is Season 1, the 1990s. On June 13, 1966, in the suburbs of London, teacher Beth and renowned artist Jeremy Moon welcomed their second son, Benedict Joseph Moon. It looked to be the average middle-class upbringing until, when Ben was seven, his father died in a tragic motorbike accident. Mom Beth took over with the quiet, steely, unwavering determination that would later see her son up the hardest rock climbs on the planet. It was at this age that young Ben first thought of himself as a climber, just like his grandfather, Jack. But climbing wasn't the easiest sport to access in the London suburbs, so the activity was relegated to the family trips Beth continued to take her now three children on. And then, nearing his teenage years, when Ben aged into the boarding school where older brother Rob was, this is when he really began to form. He discovered drumming via the marching band, punk rock was all the rage, and most important, he would share it all with new friend Rick Potter. They realized they had a shared passion, and by the time they had reached 13, were climbing outdoors weekly as part of a school program, and spending as much time as they could traversing around on whatever structures they found appropriate. According to Rick Potter, it was clear from the jump that Ben Moon was in a different orbit. Flunking out of the boarding school, Ben sought haven in his father's art studio. He'd nail the wooden canvas stretchers onto the wall and traverse across them or ladder up footless on them. And eventually he realized there was a path already laid out for him. Thatcher's conservative government had, in a misguided attempt to curb inflation, triggered a deep recession. And unemployment in the early to mid-80s was through the roof, over 3 million people. 265,000 of whom were 16 to 18-year-old kids just like Ben. But the good news for those kids was that if you showed up and signed your name every two weeks, you could live on the dole, a stipend given out by the government in such huge numbers that there wasn't really time to ask questions. And in fact, the dole would play an important role in raising the climbing standard across the UK by supporting many of the leading figures. And by moving to Sheffield and into a dilapidated dwelling on Hunter House Road that was the dossing spot for a who's who of leading British climbers, Ben had taken the best possible path. If you could live on the dole and within easy hitchhiking distance of the best crags and have at your disposal all of the best climbers in the country, then you could climb all day, every day, 
and you could get better fast. It was here that Jerry Moffat, then a contender for the best climber in the world, took the young punk rock kid under his wing. He took Ben across France, where he, Jerry, climbed all of their hardest routes, and the pair picked up the French tactics that would become the basis for sport climbing as we now know it. Ben's levels would go from 7A to 7C plus in France, and he'd come back to the UK with new vision. And so he made a statement. I'm not someone who seeks controversy, Ben says. Having just been to France and having seen where the sport there was going, it was obvious. But I've got a mixed background with climbing. I've got one foot in the past and one in the future. I was very aware of history. I was brought up on it. But when I came into the sport, what was happening in France had a big impact on and so, at 18 years old, Ben Moon put seven bolts into the steep wall at Lower Pentruin and spent a few days working it using the French tactics. At 8A, or 13B, it was amongst the hardest in the country at the time. But that wasn't the point. He named the new route Statement of Youth. And a statement it was, at first causing controversy but effectively ushering in a new age of British climbing, a new age of raised standards. And whether intentional or not, a line drawn in the sand between the old and the new. We'll be right back. Climbers in the 90s were strong, really strong. Because while they may not have had the scientific knowledge about training that we do today, they did have passion, common sense, and just like my friends over at Tension Climbing, they focused on mastery over success. Tension's wooden training tools are built with us, the climbers, in mind. To facilitate an elevated climbing and training experience, easy on the skin, challenging for the muscles and tendons, focused on mastery. You can use the code STONE for 10% off their training tools and to let them know how much you appreciate their support for this podcast, history, and this community. That's STONE, S-T-O-N-E, all lowercase or all caps if you feel like yelling it. When you support them, you're supporting us. Tensionclimbing.com. Not valid for tension board sets, hardware, or gift cards, and cannot be combined with other offers. By the end of the 1980s, Ben Moon was on one. He'd made more statements, including those two routes in France, the first eight seas in the country, and among the hardest routes anywhere. But he wasn't exactly sure what was next. In an interview with fellow British strongman Sean Miles, Ben was asked if he could see himself climbing 9A. No, I'll be over the hill by then. Maybe AC+, though. I don't know how many years I've got left in me. 
and it's a problem of finding the roots. He didn't know it at the time, but that root would be right on his doorstep. Raven Tor was a futuristic crag when Ron Fawcett climbed up the center of it to create the prowl. But after Statement of Youth had opened people's eyes, it became the crag of now. The best climbers were all here making their mark. Fawcett's Body Machine, Moffat's Revelations, Andy Pollitt's Chimes of Freedom, and Martin Atkinson's Mecca, The Midlife Crisis had raised the standards all the way to 8B+, and designated Raventor the preeminent sport climbing crag in the country. Pollitt had finished bolting an old aid line to the right of Revelations, but was unable to do the bottom moves. And in a stroke of forward-thinking genius, rather than alter the bottom boulder problem, as might have been expected in those days, he chose to pull on the first two quick draws and then continue climbing up the face, calling his creation the Whore of Babylon. But those unclimbed seven moves at the bottom called out to be freed. Ben had tried it two years earlier and deemed it impossible, but now, following the French trip, he had fresh eyes. Where it once seemed hopeless, he could now see a sequence using miserable underclings, precise pockets, toe hooks, and powerful moves. And it might just be the hardest thing he'd ever tried. It might be 8C+. Hell, it might be 9A. Ben writes in his journal, After four days of effort, out of the seven hand moves which made up the route, all but two remained to be done. And it seemed like everybody was trying the route, including Jerry. And Ben wanted to be first, but of course, so did Jerry. And so the race was on. But that fall, the root began seeping, and it stayed wet and unclimbable through the remainder of the season. So Ben and Jerry focused their efforts elsewhere. And because of this, the doors closed on the 1980s with the top grade in the world as 8C, or 14B. German superstar Wolfgang Gulich had introduced the grade in 1987. A quiet Swiss climber named Fred Nicole had seemingly come out of nowhere to add another in 88 and Ben had added those two in France. But as of yet, nobody had climbed harder. And so Ben Moon rang in the 90s on a mission, focused. The first spring of 1990 came with big expectations. Jerry was closing in on his own project at Lower Pentruan, so his attention had been pulled away from the Raventor project. He would finish his project in March, calling it Liquid Amber and giving it the grade of 8C, making it the hardest route in the country at the time, and again raising British standards to level with the top in the world. Just after Jerry's ascent, on April 24, 1990, the Space Shuttle Discovery would launch from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It was carrying in its payload a giant space telescope called Hubble. 
A collaboration between NASA and the European Space Agency, this telescope would be deployed into low Earth orbit and would help us peer into the future by better understanding the remnants of past events in our universe. And after its deployment, had Mission Control trained the telescope on Raventor, it would have seen that the project known as Whore of Babylon was drying out. And so Ben and Jerry returned, immediately getting back to work on the hard, tensiony moves at the bottom of the unclimbed line. Jerry, fresh off liquid amber, was motivated, but maybe also a bit content and complacent. Besides, he just wasn't having the best showing on this bouldery start. It suited Ben's powerful climbing far better. And on the first dry day, Ben completed the two remaining moves and was ready to start trying to link the whole thing together. Jerry, meanwhile, left for a competition in France. Ben now knew that the route would go, but he suspected it might still be a ways off. By the end of the year, if I train hard, he thought. But Ben Moon was one of the best red point climbers the world has ever seen, so he kept at it. Four days later, and things had suddenly clicked into place. He began to think that maybe it could go the next day. So he showed up at Raventor confident, sure that it was going to happen. And straight away, he was pairing up in the terrible underclings and making the rightward lunge. And then, shockingly, he was through it. Only a much easier 7C plus, or 13A, finish to go. The other climbers were already congratulating him. And then he was off. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? I just wanted to drop in here to say thank you. Projects like this take way too many hours to make, and it just doesn't happen without your support. So whether it's training plans, courses, or products, it's your support of Power Company Climbing, as well as our sponsors here on this show that has given me the time and motivation to conceptualize and create things like this podcast. So as a thank you, we're offering 20% off of almost everything on our site. Finger files, clippers, apparel, proven plans, ebooks, courses, and more. For details, go to powercompanyclimbing.com slash stone. And then use the code stone, that's S-T-O-N-E, at checkout. Powercompanyclimbing.com. Learn. Grow. Excel. Basketball player Michael Jordan, who would strangely find himself amongst climbing history via a French superstar climber in Oregon, said, Obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. And that's what athletic greatness is, how you handle yourself when you fail. And Ben Moon handled this failure with the same quiet, steely, unwavering determination his mother had displayed 17 years earlier. Disappointed, of course, but he kept it moving. Like I said, he was one of the world's best red point climbers. And so he did exactly what he needed to do. He took a rest day. 
It was his birthday, after all. But once rested, it was back to the launch site. Physically, he's ready. And sure, there are nagging doubts. Did I just blow my one chance? Can I get through this bottom section again? But he knows how to handle this. Red pointing hard roots, especially hard new roots, is all about dealing with doubts. Will the moves go? Do I have the best sequences? Can I link all of this? If I do, what will the grade be? Is it harder than what I've already done? Or am I just missing something that might make it easier? But he's studied this game, and he's played it many times. He knows it comes down to letting the preparation take over. Effort. Instead of asking what if. T-minus three minutes and counting. He gets his dreadlocks pulled back just right. Ties into his bright pink harness and checks the yellow chalk bag to make sure it's filled. He doesn't want to have any excuses if he falls off again. He cinches up the prototype Boreal sprints, chalks up, and takes a deep breath. T-minus two minutes, Mark, and counting. Starting on a good flake below a series of small roof overlaps, like the bottom side of a set of giant stairs, he makes a huge span over one roof and to a left-hand pinch situated just below a second small overlap. He immediately gets his right heel just above his right hand, still on the flake. From here, his right hand goes all the way to the lip of the next overlap into a tiny unwelcoming undercling that he has to wiggle his fingers into just to make at all usable. And this is when the real countdown begins. T-minus one minute, Mark, and counting. Somehow, he needs to get his feet up, out of the heel hook below the first roof and onto the short face just below his hands. It requires all of the tension he can muster. Once his feet are built to the lip of the roof below, he very quickly brings his left hand to the lip of the second roof to a hard-to-hit left two-finger pocket. He moves his feet around, bunched up impossibly small, and lunges far right to a sloping edge, barely catching it but reeling it in, closing the thumb, and quickly moving his feet. Toe-hooking the pinch now, he brings his left hand into yet another undercling taking care to get the thumb on the lip just right. Releasing the toe hook is hard, but he tensions up again, builds his feet again, and makes a big move to a right-hand Gaston, bumps to another sloping edge, and just before his feet leave the wall, jumps into a good Gaston above another tiny stair-step roof. T-minus 20 seconds and counting. Only a much easier 7C+, or 13A, finish to go. T-minus 15 seconds. Ben Moon had taken the time to understand the remnants of past events in this universe. And so now, he became the future, causing ripples in the fabric of space-time that still reverberate today. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, Hubble, the world's first 8C+. 3, 2, 1, 0. Lift off. One, two.
Stone is produced by me, Chris Hampton, with help from Riley Rush and Emily Holland for Plug Tone Audio, a group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. At the link in your show notes, you'll find all the things you expect and probably some you don't including links to all of the books and resources used in making this episode. And look, this show is 100% rooted in the facts, but like Todd Skinner always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And if you love what you're hearing, give us those five stars and a glowing review and tell everyone you know at the crag, at the gym, follow the pod on your friends' phones and share it all over your social medias. And together, we can tell the stories of climbing's most important ascents one decade at a time. Written in stoners. Welcome to the third official, unofficial, I don't know, what do you say for a secret club? Is it official or is it unofficial meeting uh, of the secret stoners club? Regardless, welcome. And wow, thank you for listening to these episodes. This thing has only been live for a week and I'm already floored by the amount of love it's gotten, the amount of listens it's gotten. Um, And I hope that you're sharing it with your friends, sharing it on your social media. Wow, damn, it means a lot to me that, that you guys are going above and beyond. So thank you. Next week coming up, uh, we have a conversation with Buster Martin, who is, One of only two people on the planet who have done both Hubble and Action Direct. Um, And I'm giving you all a a very sneak peek here. Later in the season, I'm going to be giving you a bonus episode uh, really comparing the two, um, Action Direct and Hubble and what was the first 9A and does it matter or what matters more than which 9A was first or who was the first climber to climb 9A? Um, I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm talking with Buster about it and I'm I'm hoping and he has agreed, but you know how pro climbers are. We'll see if it actually happens. Uh, Alex Magos, the other person to climb both of those routes, may be joining in on the conversation to give his two cents. So we've got the modern day uh, German versus the British who climbed 9A first. And it was never a battle between Wolfgang and Ben. Um, Ben very fondly recalls talking to to Wolfgang on the phone shortly before he died and Wolfgang wanted to go and try Hubble. Um, But, you know, I suspect... Buster has his leanings toward the British side. Uh, Alex definitely has his leanings toward the German side. So um, my guess is they're going to have slightly different takes on it, but I think we can all come to an agreement of sorts. So that's coming up. Um, There's also going to be a bonus uh, episode next week 
after Buster, we will be talking to, and I'm not going to tell you who, but we will be talking to the person who is certainly um, the torchbearer passed down from Moffat and Moon of of hard UK sport climbing, um, at least for the 20 years after um, Ben and Jerry passed that off. So I think that's going to be a really fantastic conversation, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. All right. Uh, don't forget, go sign up for that giveaway. Um, well, there's some really <laughs> great prizes in there. So um, sign up for that. And uh, I have negotiated with Emily to have a separate Secret Stoners Club giveaway. So be on the lookout for that uh, coming midway through this season. All right, you guys. Wow. Thank you. I'll see you next week.